Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning. I hope everyone's having a wonderful Tuesday. My name is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, since we started this show, people have asked me, Frank, what exactly is a life-altering event? And this is what I tell them. A life-altering event is something we can either choose or something that is thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. Now, everyone's had those aha moments or events in our life that, that have changed our life for better or for worse. Now, these life-altering events occur in every aspect of our professional life and in our personal life and in the lives of our family. Now, try as we may, it is impossible to completely separate the events of our personal life from our professional life. Now, believe me, I have tried to do this for years, and I failed miserably. What life-altering events presents us with, however, is an opportunity to seize the moment and make a difference in our own lives or the lives of our loved ones. There are a fork in the road where we have a choice. They present us with a choice. Now, we have a choice. We can either fall apart or we can find the courage to pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. I want everyone to remember this. It's never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. As you listen to this show over the coming weeks and months and hopefully years, now the show was just renewed for an additional 52 weeks, so thank you all very much for all you listeners around the world. I urge you to think about participating in an upcoming show. If you have a life-altering event that could inspire others, visit the life-altering event page on voiceamerica.com, click on email the host, and send me your story. Tell me about this event that so dramatically changed your life, how you addressed it, and where you are now. We'll review it for content, and if it fits well into the program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. I'm looking forward to hearing your story, and I want to tell your story on the air. Today, what we're going to get into is, can civility become a competitive edge? Now, this is another life-altering event. Can civility become a life-altering event in your business or, and or your personal life? Now, let's think about this for a second. What happened to civility? When did we lose it? Did we ever have it? How can we find it and successfully implement civility for the common good? Now, right now, there's no denying we live in a divided world. There are strong opinions, harsh words, misrepresentation of facts, and outright lies have become commonplace. Civil discourse, discussion, and debate has been replaced with name-calling, hostile rhetoric, and at times, acts of violence. Now, this lack of civility is not just limited to the political area. We see it every day in business. 
people are disengaged at work. Every major corporation states their number one asset is their people, their employees. Yet positive employee interaction is less than 15%. Now, a new study that came out that my guest, Nicole Bendeley, who we're going to talk to shortly, published in her article in Forbes magazine. This was published in September 17, 2019. This study shows that 84% of workers do not enjoy their job and are not engaged toward working toward a common goal. Now, far too many organizations have an unproductive, toxic culture. Now, all this unhappiness comes with a price. Gallup and Eastern Kentucky University did a report that said $550 billion. I'm going to repeat that. $550 billion of productivity is lost annually due to employee burnout. Another $330 billion annually is lost due to workplace stress. Now, these are staggering numbers, and they bring with it a very serious problem. We're seeing declines in productivity, declines in profit, in revenue and profit, employee turnover increases, corporate sabotage increases, legal actions by employees and customers are on the rise, negative undergrounds, and worse yet, battlegrounds are being developed and are starting to gain traction. Companies that suffer from departmental rivalries, this is a lack of civility or common ground, are six times more likely to have systemic problems with honesty. That's amazing. Now, this was con- through a 15-year study was, w- that was conducted by consultant Ron Car- Carucci. As these widespread issues with honesty can pave the way toward the kinds of scandals that we saw with Wells Fargo and Volkswagen in the last few years. While things are never going to be perfect, an improvement in civility can give companies and individuals a competitive edge. Now, how do we get back to civility? Susan Scott wrote in her book, Fierce Conversations, few, if any, forces in human affairs are as powerful as a shared vision. Now, at times, this seems impossible, but it can be accomplished, and it can be accomplished when you work with the right people. Fortunately, today, we have the right people. We have two individuals who have spent their entire professional life changing toxic culture and toxic corporate environments and are building high-performance collaborative teams. My guests today are Nicole Mendeley from Toronto, Ontario, who has spent, let me tell you a little bit about Nicole before we bring her in. For over 20 years, she's been researching and training corporate and healthcare teams to weed out apathy and to amplify the best in themselves. She's a published author, she's a very dynamic speaker, and she's a creator of team fitness tools, and she's the president of K&Co. She's established herself as a respected thought leader, team development, and organizational behavior. She is also a featured contributor in Forbes magazine and has written several books, one of which called Winner Instinct, which I highly recommend to everyone. And my second guest is Mark Balzer. Now, Mark and I grew up together in Dunkirk, New York, a little town outside of Buffalo, not far from Toronto. So we have a very East Coast show here today. Now, Mark has spent 25 years in learning and development. He has trained organizations throughout Europe, 
Africa, Australia, and Asia. He's designed and developed and implemented over 50 leadership programs for Fortune 100 companies. He holds a master's degree in organizational communication, and he is the author of the book, The People Principles, which, again, I highly recommend everyone read. So, Nicole and Mark, thank you for being on Life-Altering Events. Great to be here. Nicole, let me start with you. Your company has been promoting and providing training and guidance on collaborative workplaces for over 20 years. Now, this, this is many years before we even knew what the term collaborative workplaces were. So what did you see that the rest of us didn't? Well, it's interesting, Frank, because um, my company was founded in the 80s. And back then, we're a family business. My mom, Leslie, had been working with teams of all types, right? Really high-performing teams, um, teams in crisis, average-performing teams, all sorts of teams. And so she began to ask the question, so what's the difference? What's the difference between teams that can perform exceptionally well with ease and those that struggle to keep up? And so that one question has really driven our work. We have been focused on asking and answering that question for close to 30 years now. And we continually ask that question and answer that question because work shouldn't be a struggle, right? Um, it should be challenging, but it shouldn't be a struggle. And so really focusing on understanding that difference, what makes the biggest difference for people at work and civility and trust and respect is a huge component of that. But that's really what's been driving us, helping teams and leaders and individuals thrive more and struggle less by getting back to basics, some of those basic behaviors and practices that, that really drive how we connect with each other, how we connect to our vision and our purpose within an organization, how we support each other, how we communicate, how we challenge each other, how we lean into conflict, which is really important. So there are a number of things that are not complicated, um, but... In certain organizations, and depending on the circumstances, can be difficult to practice on a regular basis, but makes such a difference to everybody's daily experience and ability to thrive and achieve exceptional results. Now, Nicole, I've heard you say that you can you can sense a toxic culture when you walk off the elevator. Yeah. Would you elaborate on that? Yes, it's... It, you can feel the energy, right, that is exuding in an environment. And that energy will either feel good or it will feel bad, um, to put it simply. Um, I had the opportunity to interview a number of years ago the former president of the, the Canadian Patient Safety Institute while I was doing some research in um, improving um, cultures of safety within healthcare across North America, within healthcare organizations. And he was the one who really raised this. He said as soon as he steps onto a hospital unit, he knows immediately if it's a health, if it's a healthy culture or if it's not. And he can walk and one experience might be, it feels good here and I feel good being here. 
And he could walk down the hall to another hospital unit where the only visible difference is the color of paint on the wall. And he would have an opposite reaction of, it doesn't feel good here. And now that's not based on any scientific rigor, but the difference is palpable in how we feel. And that difference is caused by the very the differences in relationships and and teamwork within each unit. Um, we have the opportunity to choose the attitude and the energy we exude. And when we are operating in survival mode, when we're operating in a toxic environment where we're reacting and just, you know, doing our best to get through the day, we can't be our best self and we can't choose to exude the the best energy possible. Um, And so energy and how the team feels is a big component of performance. Now, both of you have talked and written about fear in the workplace, now, Mark, let me start with you on this one. How do you, what role does fear play in a toxic culture, and how is it damaging? Well, I think the, the, the bottom line comes down to is there's so much pressure on the bottom line is that people are pushed and managers are pushed time and time again to hit bottom lines, hit numbers, and we fail to take a look at what drives those numbers. And when people are afraid for their jobs, it's very hard to be innovative and creative in terms of coming up with unique uh, environments where people can truly, truly uh, be their all. And in my experience is that fear is driven by the top of the organization. And it's usually related, like I said, into the meeting the numbers of the business. And it becomes very toxic because people are not treating the individuals on their team with respect and with the recognition that they deserve. And, uh, I, I believe in the long term, it drives a, a, a really an environment where people are looking over their back for that ax to come down. And you talk about people being the number one asset, uh, an asset in any organization. I think a lot of organizations truly believe that, but I think in the execution of it, I think it falls down to the bottom. And I think it's so much of it, again, the bottom line. Nicole, You've dealt with a number of, of organizations, and I've heard you speak about the impact on fear. Would you like to add anything to this? Yeah, I would I would agree absolutely with you, Mark. And there's also, in my experience, another component that I'm sure you've also experienced, and that's the fear of being oneself, right, at work. There's a lot of organizations where vulnerability just is not part of the culture, right? So many people grow up in organizations where they're taught to be invincible, right? Always have the right, always have the right answers. Direct people. Don't show you don't know anything, right? You're the leader. You should have all the answers or don't question the leader. They're always right. So there's a lack of vulnerability within organizations and fear is driven in great part from a fear of Speaking up, a fear of asking questions, the fear of just being oneself. Um, and when we, and that fear can also come from when we ask a question or challenge authority, and challenging authority, I mean, in a respectful way, and challenging the status quo and asking questions around why is this a great idea? Have we thought about doing it differently? Can, I'm not sure I quite understand. Can you help me here a little bit? That takes vulnerability to put yourself out there and ask questions, but we need um, 
groups of people, organizations full of people with curious minds and with the confidence and security to be able to ask questions, look at doing things differently, make suggestions, share ideas, rock the boat, because that's the only way organizations are going to move forward and become more competitive. And unless we support our people in 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 encouraging them to ask questions, encouraging them to challenge, um, organizations are going to fall behind. Um, and that those that type of questioning is essential to the bottom line. Um, but I experience it every day. Um, with, with people that I work with and teams that I support where I see team members, you know, take the, the courage to, to speak up and ask a question and they're shot down. Um, or they're pulled aside after and we're told that's not appropriate. You shouldn't have challenged me in front of everybody when they did it quite respectfully. Um, and so that I see as a, as a big component of fear and um, a huge issue when it comes to culture and performance. We've got about uh, two minutes before we get ready for, almost one minute before we get ready for a break here, but let's start on this next topic. Mark, you spent over 20 years as a business business executive working in the area of human capital. In your book, The People Principles, you write, people first is the key to success. Then I've seen you, seen you write, while most corporate offices say they treat and reward everybody equally, why is this so hard to implement? I, I really believe that these programs are well-intended, Frank. I think the, the organizations want to treat people fairly. They want to rec- recognize people uh, for their contribution. Uh, unfortunately, the intention of the program is good, but the implementation of what they're trying to get done uh, it doesn't come out. When the right person is chosen for the reward, it's well-received by the employees. The folks on the floor, they understand who's, who should be deserving of those roles. And there's no doubt about it. When the right person is recognized, is that the reward goes over really well. Um, when I'm deserving people receive the award, the whole program loses its credibility. And I see that time and time again is that the leadership team gets together and they choose the wrong person. And a lot of times the people that they choose are the individuals they perceive as being, you know, those suck-ups on the floor, those individuals that are the favorites, and people recognize that. And uh, I was part of an organization, and we rolled out the first time the employee of the year. And the person that received it was so highly regarded. Everybody in the organization said, man, that's the person that should get it. And everyone knew it, and it was fantastic. And a year later, the organization went out, and they picked the wrong person. And I happened to be in the first individual's office during that period of time. And in the trash can was a person's plaque. And I said, why Why is your plaque in the, in the trash can? And he said, well, the reason is, Mark, is that last year it meant a lot to me. But when they chose that person to be the uh, employee of the year, the reward mean, is meaningless to me because that individual is not deserving of it. There's other people in the organization were, and he felt so bad about it. He threw his reward away because it was meaningless after that. And that whole concept in that organization went down because everyone knew it was the wrong person and uh, it destroyed the whole program. So well intended, but the implementation of it, uh, they chose the wrong person. And I think that's one of the things that kills uh, these type programs more than anything else. Let's take a break right here. Uh, don't go away, ladies and gentlemen. This this is a fantastic conversation, and Mark and Nicole have a wealth of knowledge that will be of great value to you. You do not want to miss this next segment. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. 
Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or you can send an email to Life Altering Events Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back. Welcome back. We are talking with Nicole Benderley and Mark Balzer, who are both experts in the area of organizational development and human capital, building collaborative, successful workplaces. Now, just before the break, Mark had touched on why awards that businesses try so hard to be fair with just aren't very fair. And things that sometimes the wrong people are awarded, and the people know. People know who deserves what kind of award. Now, every major corporation, we stated in the beginning, says that the number one asset is their employees. Now, Nicole just published an article in Forbes magazine and from a study that came out in September 17, 2019, I believe. And she said, yet employee engagement is at an all-time low. Now, with millions of dollars being spent on employee engagement, Nicole, why is this such a why does this continue to be such a problem? Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, study, the results of the study were quite shocking and um, enlightening at the same time. So Marcus Buckingham, who's well-known, you know, is sort of the guru of, of employee engagement, um, he and his team at uh, ADP Research Institute launched and just completed the largest um, global study on employee engagement. And you're right. They found that 84% of people are just coming to work. 
right? 84% of people are just coming to work, meaning they are not fully engaged. And the main outcomes of the study um, uh, stated that um, organizations have been focused, haven't been focused on the right areas to strengthen engagement. There's been significant focus sort of from a top-down, large organizational employee engagement strategies that are driven by, you know, large biannual or every three years employee engagement surveys. And there are these sort of large um, organizational-wide strategies. And their research has shown that those are not making a dent, right? They're not shifting how people feel about being at work. And the study identified two key areas that have the biggest impact on employee engagement. And those two things are teams and trust in our leaders, right? And um, you had mentioned earlier that there's a systemic problem with honesty, right? Our ability to generate and build trust within an organization and specifically trust between team members and those that lead them is critical to employee engagement. That plus effective teams, working on a team that is high-functioning, where team members feel valued, where they know they're contributing to a common purpose that makes a difference, um, and where they have the opportunity to connect meaningfully with other people and bring their best selves to work, which requires all the things we've been talking about, right? A lack of fear, um, being vulnerable, collaboration, honesty, respect, and trust. And so what this research says is that organizations need to start shifting their focus. It's not to get away from organizational-wide strategies or organizational-wide employee engagement surveys, but there needs to be just as much focus on arming leaders and their teams with tools to develop themselves, arming leaders with the tools to measure their team's function, to assess the health of the team, and then the tools to take action and shift behavior and actions in the direction that's most meaningful for their team. Um, So really shifting from the top down, we'll come in and fix it for you, to enabling and empowering teams and leaders to develop themselves and build that trust um, themselves within their teams. Um, so that's really what it comes down to, where um, over the years, organizations have not been focused on the right strategies, but there is, there are strategies to be able to improve engagement that, that do work. That's, a, that's an excellent, excellent point. Mark, you talked about, I read something you put out that you, you, you read over 50, uh, top, one, over the top 50, 100 companies homepage regarding their mission, and everyone says people are number one. Yet when times get hard, what do they do? And then that's the, and that's the deal, Frank, is when you take a look at, and just to kind of go with uh, what Nicole said is, the first thing is take a look at, I think most organizations, when you take a look at, they don't have teams there. They have a group of people because people truly don't understand what it takes to be a team. They put up a, a banner in the, in the cops yeah. room and say, okay, there's no I in team, we have a team. And teams really come down to making sure everybody in the organization understands what the common goals are, because that's what define a team. But if you go up to most employees in any organization, Frank, and ask them what the goals of the, of, the, of the site are, they're clueless. And I think if you went down and really sat down with leaders, it's the same thing. 
And then when times get hard, and this is what really boggles my mind because as you take a look at the websites, it's always people are the most important assets and people, people, people. But to me, it's really confusing is that in hard times, why would you want to get rid of your most important asset? I mean, during those troubling times is that you shouldn't cut back on training. You should train more. Uh, during those troubling times, you shouldn't get rid of people is begin to take a look at how do we reduce other expenses of the organization? You know, one of the things I talked about was the, the countless meetings that go on that are a waste of time. There is so much low-hanging fruit in an organization to reduce costs uh, besides people. But it's always people first, people first, people first. And then we wonder why people don't have a loyalty to the organization. Is that they know is that you're an expendable asset. Is that they would rather get rid of you than a computer. And I think, you know, in, in my career as I take a look at it, I think people are, are getting more and more uh, involved with this idea of leadership loyalty. It's like, you want my loyalty, I'll give it to you. But loyalty is a two-way street. And I think a lot of times the organizations aren't providing that loyalty back um, in terms of, you know, I talked about hard times. And it's amazing to me is that most of these uh, mission and vision statements that are written uh, online aren't really written by the people that work there. They hire a consultant yeah. that comes in. They all read the same thing, blah, 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 customer service, blah, 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 best in class. And I don't think it ties anybody into what the organization is about. And I think people are trying to, and I know myself, look for an organization that represents the values that I have as an individual. That's absolutely correct. One statement you made, Mark, that I read, it's like saying that the house is on fire, so let's get rid of the water when you start cutting. It, it, It makes absolutely no sense. Nicole, in your book, Winter Instinct, you stress that to build high performing work environments. Leaders have to understand, this kind of parallels on what Mark had said, they have to understand the difference between discussion and dialogue and sympathy and empathy. Explain what you mean there. Yeah, and, and dialogue leads to empathy. So discussion is, you know, when two people, let's say, enter a discussion, one person is trying to convince the other person, you know, that, that they're right while the other person is trying to convince them that they're right and they're just talking at each other and they're not listening. They're not asking questions to truly understand. They're just trying to prove their point. Whereas in dialogue, it goes back to that quote, seek first to understand and then be understood. The concept and the whole foundation of dialogue is to understand the other person's point of view. We don't have to agree with it, but we want to get to a place of understanding one another. And in order to understand someone, we need to ask questions, right? So there are dialogue openers, right? Tell me more. Can you give me an example, right? Why do you think that? And asking questions in an open, non-judgmental way for the purpose of truly understanding, right? And so when I'm in a dialogue with someone, my first responsibility is to understand their point of view. That's my main responsibility. And, and then I want to communicate my point of view, and I encourage them to ask me questions to better understand it. I notice if they're not getting it by reading body language and said, okay, so I'm getting a sense that 
maybe you're not understanding. Where can I elaborate for you, right, to open up that dialogue? And sympathy and empathy both are essential, um, but I think we lean more on sympathy where we express concern for others, right? I'm really sorry for your loss, or I'm sorry that that deal fell through, or, right, we express concern. Um, empathy goes a step further, though, where we try to step into the other person's shoes and, again, truly understand and try to feel what they're Experiencing, And as leaders, so if I can use an example around change management, right? So we're leading or introducing a big change that has an impact on our team members. In my experience, a lot of leaders um, step into the invincibility realm, right, and, and, and direct and tell the team that this is the change that's happening. We have no influence over it, so let's just deal with it and move on. And they don't create the space for the dialogue to truly understand what people might be afraid of, what people might be concerned about, what the issues are um, from the team's perspective with this change, and just creating the space to hear and understand each other so that the leader can empathize and can step into their team member's shoes who may be experiencing a great deal of loss as a result of this change and a great deal of fear. But when people feel heard and understood, they are far more, and in a genuine way, not a check-the-box way, they are far more likely to be open to that change and move through that fear and that transition of change um, more easily. Um, And that's really the difference between sympathy and empathy. It's that understanding and stepping into other people's shoes and and ensuring they feel heard and understood. And that that only happens through dialogue. I've had someone tell you to say to me, sympathy is a person who says, you know, call me if you need anything. And empathy is a person who shows up without being right. asked. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Great point. Mark, you and Nicole both talk about a great deal about the importance of frequent feedback and knowing how to interact with each member of your team. It's not a one size fits all. So why is it so difficult for so many corporations to provide the correct type of feedback? I think some of it comes down to having a mindset is that you're going to want to provide feedback to people. And I think when you look at a lot of leaders, is provide feedback, and most of it comes down to the negative feedback. And I think feedback has to be two ways. And one of the things that we're, we're doing at our organization today is really breaking it down into all feedback's good. We call it motivational and developmental. And we're spending two days uh, training all our managers on how to get uh, proper feedback uh, from our employee opinion surveys, the lowest rated uh, item on it is providing feedback to employees. And I think what my experience has been is people just don't take the time to sit down and provide feedback. Um, I'm amazed at some of the executives within the organizations. They make million-dollar decisions every day, but they're afraid to sit down with an individual and provide them with developmental feedback. And when I take a look at feedback, I think feedback comes down to is I'm not giving you this feedback because I don't like you. I'm giving you this feedback because I do like you. And I take a look at the folks on my team. I owe it to those individuals 
to make sure that I sit down and provide them feedback. And I think if you truly respect somebody and care about an individual, you provide feedback to the individual regardless of the pain. And I think when you come at it with the right intent, I think people will see is that you're not giving it to belittle them and you're not giving it to hurt them. What you're doing is you're sitting down and providing it to help them. But I think it always comes back to why is this so hard? I don't think some of the leaders have it in the mindset. I think it's one of those lower priorities that they have. And when they sit to start to begin to take a look what has to go on during the course of a day is if I get around to it, if I get around to it, I get around to it. And I think feedback has to be part of your DNA as a leader. It's not an addition to your job. It is your job. And to me, feedback is critical to grow the organization, to grow people, to give them an opportunity to, one, is say, you're doing a great job, reward them. And the other hand is to help the individual grow in their role. And I think that uh, we shy away from it because, again, it comes down to the priorities of a leader and they don't see the importance of what it can do for the organization. And I think it ties into, you know, if you take a look at performance appraisals, everyone's trying to take a look at the, you know, the, uh, what's the, the right performance appraisal. It's not the, the system. It's how you, you utilize the system, providing feedback and goal setting for individuals. I've well seen said. so many. Or- I fully agree with that. That's perfect. I've seen so many organizations that use a performance appraisal to tie to um, pay increases, and I've worked for big corporations, and they would say, "Okay, this year we can only give percentage X increase, so therefore make sure everybody's performance appraisal falls into that category, so we can justify only giving them whatever the rate increase is." And that is sad. That's that's a sad scenario. Nicole, you do you do dozens of training sessions, and how do you reinforce to the leader manager who agrees with everything that you say while you're in the session, and then they go back to their office and they've got a hundred emails and two hundred voicemails and they fall right back into their old patterns? How do you encourage them to take to heart what you're teaching? Yeah, great question. It's hard, right? I mean, we've all tried to create new habits in our lives in one way, shape, or form, and it's 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 a hard thing to do if it just doesn't come naturally to you. And so we try to focus. We focus on some of the, the the most important things. We don't. I don't want to overwhelm leaders with a whole list of things they need to do differently, right? What are the most important things that will be most um, impactful to where your team is now and where they need to get to. Um, And so we try to keep things simple, but also um, we equate it to, you know, it's the little things. Just make small shifts every day. Make it less complicated and less overwhelming. And part of your everyday and part of your job, as Mark has said, Right. So, for example, I equate it. I don't play golf, but I equate it to a game of golf where I imagine that if you change the angle of your golf swing just slightly, it will have a a huge trajectory on huge impact on where that golf ball goes. It's the same with our leadership approach. If we just make small changes in how we interact with those we lead in how we communicate, in showing appreciation, in providing feedback more regularly, just small things, they're going to notice big changes relatively quickly. Um, And so it's about just small changes 
and consistency in those that are not nice to have. They have to be part of what you do every day and your priorities. And the more you can operationalize them to a degree and and make them a part of your every day, the more likely they're going to do it. So if you have a routine around feedback, create a routine around feedback, right? Schedule it. Let's make it as easy as possible for it to happen. So, for example, how are you using your team meetings, right? Mark mentioned we spend way too much time in, t- in meetings and, and don't accomplish nearly enough. And so Perfect. let's look at Nicole, the time hold that, that you are spending together. Sorry. Hold that thought. We have to go to a break here. We'll come back and pick up right there with the meeting thing. Once again, I have Nicole Bendeley and Mark Balzer. We're talking about organizational development, building collaborative and positive workforces. Don't go away. This next segment is going to be the best yet. Stay with me. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back. Welcome back. We're talking to Nicole Bendeley and Mark Balzer, and we are having just a fantastic conversation about organizational development, about building collaborative teams, about providing feedback, and ways to improve performance. And one of the things that we just before the break we were talking about, uh, Mark and Nicole both mentioned, was meetings and the amount of meetings we have and how 
many of these meetings simply are just waste time and can be so much more productive. So, Nicole, continue on what you were saying. Right. You know, when we look at, um, when we, over the past 30 years, have defined what a high-performance team looks like, the seven elements, one of those elements is meeting effectiveness. Meetings drive the performance of your team. It's a core piece of performance because the, how we use our time in the meetings, the dialogue that happens, our ability to question decisions and make the best decisions drive how we execute against them. Do we support those decisions? And so if your meeting time is being spent just downloading information um, very li- with very little dialogue and um, sharing of ideas and challenging of ideas for the purpose of coming to the best decision that is fully supported by the team, then you're wasting time. So I often start by looking at, te- at a team's meetings and how they're run. What are the objectives? Do you have clear objectives that are purposeful and meaningful and will drive business forward for each of your meetings? So often I just see an agenda with a bunch of bullet points. Well, what's the, why are you coming together? Um, there's no clear reason and there's no clear um, objective around what do we want to walk away having achieved. If there is no clear objective and if there isn't opportunity for real dialogue and moving business forward, then do not have the meeting. If you do not have the right people around the table, do not have the meeting. Um, so there are a lot of really easy tips and strategies that can have the, a huge impact on the effectiveness of your meeting and help teams to spend less time in meetings and accomplish more. One of the things I've seen in uh, and I've seen leaders do is, is trying to put a meeting together and they'll, they'll, they'll put it around something they're calling an employee engagement meeting, like throwing a pizza party. Or having some kind of an event like that. Mark, you have a whole chapter in your book on this. Tell us what you think. Well, I, I think it, it comes down to throwing a pizza party. They feel like that's culture. That's not culture. Mm-hmm. Throwing a pizza party is an event. And it won't get people engaged. And to me, rather than spending time on throwing pizza parties, and, and don't get me wrong, we should have events where we have recognition and that I'm not calling for that. But we, we spend time on planning events like that where the most important step that I say is defining the purpose of the organization, the purpose of the team, and the purpose of the employee's role on a team. You know, studies and surveys show that 80% of American employees have no clue what the purpose of their company is, the purpose of their team, and most importantly, the purpose of their role. And sadly, most managers don't either. And when I take a look at it is understanding purpose and um, it's like the person that, you know, I started a job, Frank, one time, and we went out into the middle of the field. And my manager, the supervisor said, Mark, I want you to dig a hole 12 inches by 12 inches. And I dug it, and he came over, and he looked at it, and he said, fill it in with dirt. And I filled it in with dirt, and he said, dig another hole. And I dug another hole, and filled it in with dirt. I dug five holes, and every time that I dug a hole, he said, you know what, fill it in with dirt. And I really needed the money. It was back in the 70s, Frank. You know, in Darker, there wasn't a lot of jobs of working for the city. And I finally liked them. I said, I can do a lot more than, than fill this, dig a hole and fill it with dirt. It makes no sense to me. And um, he looked at me and said, didn't I tell you? We're looking for a water pipe. They were going to be doing some digging the next day. Mm-hmm. And we had to find this water pipe that went through this green field. 
And in order to find it, I had to dig these holes that was 12 inches down. And once he told me that, I said, oh, now it made sense. But I often think about my career of how many people come in every day into business. And what they do is they dig holes and they have no idea why they're digging a hole because we haven't given them a sense of purpose and a sense of direction of what the organization isn't about. But we throw a pizza party and uh, we call that culture. And it doesn't add up in my mind. I think people have to have a clear delineation of here's what I do. Here's why it's important because in any job, it's critical. The three signs of miserable job by Patrick Lencion, one of the jobs is that people have to understand why their job is important to the business. Can Nicole, I you want to elaborate that? on that? I, Go ahead. Yeah, Mark, I completely agree with you. And it's interesting because when I lead sessions, whether it's with an executive team or frontline team, I'll often ask the question, okay, I don't need to know the answer to this question, but I need to know when you know it. So raise your hand when you know the answer. What does success look like for your team? (laughs) Inevitably, I haven't had a single session over how many years where the entire team raises their hand. And if a couple of people do raise their hand, they have different answers, Um, even an executive team. And so you're absolutely right. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. It's amazing because one of the questions I always ask in every one of the leadership sessions is just that is I take a look at so this is the easiest leadership question I can ask you. When I answer it, ask it, I want everyone to say it, use your outside voices. I'm going to be joining your team. What will be the five behaviors that will make me successful on your team? And it's crickets. And I'm saying, if yeah. you don't know what it takes to be successful on your team, how can I be successful? I mean, I think that's where it all starts. And it's just amazing to me the number of leaders that have no idea what it will take to be successful on their team. And they'll say, oh, I'll know when I see it. No, that's not good enough. So mm-hmm. I, I apologize for interrupting, but that's just... Uh, uh, no, I can see we're both going. very passionate about this. <laughs> yeah. So passionate, right? It's about when you're yeah. building cohesion, right? You want a team yes. that is pulling together in the same direction. They know where they're going and they're reaching as high as possible to get there. And they know how, how to get there, how to support each other. What are those behaviors? What are those priorities? And most teams don't know. Yeah. Nicole, you have, I've heard you say many, many times, you said it in the opening statement. You have to lean into conflict. What do you mean, lean into conflict? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I work with so many teams who fear conflict, right? We, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to get along, right? We want to get along. Um, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, well, I don't really agree with the idea, but you know what? It's just easier to go with it. Exceptional teams, exceptional organizations um, thrive on um, productive conflict where people have, you know, um, the confidence and feel trusted enough to be able to speak up and ask questions. We're, we've, we touched on this earlier and to challenge ideas with the positive intent of challenging it for the good of the team, for the good of the organization. Conflict happens when we disagree. Conflict happens when there are differing opinions around the table. And that, we want different opinions. We want diversity of thought. We want to challenge assumptions, right? Um, That's how we evolve. That's how we grow. Another one of our seven elements of a high-performance team is innovative thinking. 
it's not necessarily coming up and moving forward with a brand new idea, but it's challenging our thinking and looking at the way we do business, the way we work with each other, the way we, you know, work with our clients, our customers, looking at it in new and different ways to be sure we're doing the best. And that requires conflict. That requires that we trust enough each other and each other's intent enough to lean into difficult conversations, to challenge each other's ideas, not to challenge the person, but the ideas and the decisions for the good of the organization and for being the best we can. And that will require conflict. But conflict will only be productive and healthy when the team has a foundation of trust and respect and have a culture of that where it's okay to, to challenge and to have those difficult conversations because we know we're going to get to a better place as a result of it. That's absolutely true. Um, people would, would rather go with a bad idea than to say, hey, wait, maybe that's a bad idea. Now, right. Mark, I've heard you say many times, logic, and I read in your book, logic makes people think, but emotions make people act. What do we need to do to move people from the logic to the positive emotion? Well, I think it really comes down to this, Frank. I think that when we go out and connect with people, I think what you have to do is you always have to connect at the heart level. I think sometimes we go out there and we try to connect at the intellectual level. And I think you got to win the person's heart first. Is you got to get in there and understand it because I, I, I truly believe that people could care less how smart we are. People can, can, uh, can care less if we have college degrees. At the end of the day, people care whether you care about them. And I think as we begin to take a look at it is understanding, and Nicole talked about the, you know, the, the empathy part about it, is putting yourself in that other person's point of view. You know, I sit down and I talk to people and say, you know, we got to coach people. And before I sit down and coach an individual is I always ask myself, if I was sitting on the other side of that desk, how would I want to be treated. And that's how I treat people. And I think when we sit down to it and we start doing it at the feelings level, that's what really begins to make people change. Logic will make you think, okay, I got to think about this. But if you ask yourself, what really gets you to want to change your behavior? It's always on that inner feeling. It's all around the heart level. And like I said, I, I do a lot of training for young folks coming in from the university. And one of the first thing I talk to them about is that your college degree did not get you this job. All it did was it get you an interview. You got the job. And as you go through it, going out there and talking to folks on your team, if you tell them, want to tell them how smart you are, where you're degrees from, you're going to fail because they don't care about that. What they care about is how are you going to treat them? How are you going to take care of their needs? And to me, it's always done at the emotional level. And once you win the heart, the brain will come with the person. Well, this show has been absolutely amazing, and we are just about out of time. So I want to thank both uh, Mark and Nicole for sharing their passion, which I'm sure you heard coming across the airwaves here, and and, and showing us about this life-altering event for businesses and, and improving the, you know, the way you do business and improving the life of your people. Now, in ending this, let me say, no matter what life throws at you, there's three things I want you to do. I want you to look up. I want you to get up, and I want you to never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and keep moving forward. Now, if you'd like more information about Nicole or Mark, contact me at Life Altering Event by pressing email the host 
and I'll make sure this information gets to them. This show was so good, I'm sure we'll have them back at a later time. If you've missed any portion of the show or any of our shows, you can hear them on demand on uh, iTunes, on any one of a number of places, including now iHeartRadio. Uh, Join me next week when we have another life-altering event discussion, and let me leave you all with this. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The good kind.